0: Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fact that we can trust you and that you've called us to obey you. Father, I pray this morning that you would be with us. Uh, We thank you for the meal that's been prepared by Mark and for all the effort that's been put into displaying it and preparing it. And uh, for all the guys who get here early to help set up, we just thank you for them. Father, now for the next minutes, I just pray that you would bless the time we spend in this room, around these tables, the discussions we have, the teaching we have, that everything we do this morning would bring glory and honor to you. We praise you, Father, for who you are and for what you've done for us. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who are you trying to please? Everybody in this room has a boss. Some boss, somewhere, somehow. So who are you trying to please? Just just by way of review, here's what we've been talking about. We've established the fact that all of us are called. Everybody in this room has been called. Okay? You're called to a relationship with God first and foremost. That's your primary calling. He's called you to a relationship. Not to go do something for him, but to a relationship. That's where it all begins. And it's a higher calling than anything else in your life. Whatever it is you said you do, your calling to Him is more important than what you do for a living. It doesn't mean that what you do for a living is not important. It's just that it's not as as important as what your relationship with Jesus Christ should be. There's also that secondary calling we talked about. That's It's always got to be in this order. Your primary calling is to a relationship, and then secondarily... It's to think, speak, live, and act so as to please him in whatever you do. Everything that you do is for him. And that's something that we, we just have to constantly remind ourselves because in this world, it's so easy to do everything for somebody else, to please somebody else, because that's what we do. You know, We spend our lives trying to please those people around us. Again, our boss, um, the banker that invested money in our company, the investors who invested money in our company, it could be our relationship, we're always trying to please somebody. Attempting to please men, you know, there's probably some guys in this room who are men pleasers just by nature, you know, that you, you're always trying to please somebody, always trying to keep somebody happy, but the bottom line is we all do it at some point or another. Because to get that raise you want, to get that promotion you want, you've got to keep somebody happy. You've got to keep somebody pleased. You've got to try to influence what others think about you. And again, some of us are more prone to this than others, but we all end up doing it because it's important to us what others think about us, especially in the workplace. We hope to get just a little bit of recognition. Man, I hope they notice what I did. I hope my boss sees that I got here 30 minutes early. I hope he notices that I stayed two hours late. You know, you park your car in the spot so he can see it when he leaves. You know, you want recognition. You want people to see what you're doing. You seek the approval of others. You know, I just need that pat on the back. I need somebody to tell me I did a good job. I need somebody to just say, hey, thanks. We all crave that deep down inside. And we're always performing for some audience. Somebody... To see what we're doing. I don't know very many people, you know, my wife happens to be one of them, but it's pretty rare. She's one of those people who really loves to do everything behind the scenes. She hates to get recognition. She hates to have anybody notice. If she gives to anybody, she doesn't want them to know. If she does anything for anybody, she doesn't want them to know. If she serves somebody, she doesn't want them to know. And it drives me nuts. Because I'm just the opposite. You know, what do you mean you gave to them and you don't want them to know? (laughs) Tell them. No, I don't want them to know. That's pretty rare. Most of us are the opposite. We want everybody to know what we do. We want everybody to kind of applaud us and thank us and give us accolades. We all have an audience. It could be our boss. It could be our clients. It could be our wife, our kids, our relationships. Somebody out there is who we're performing for. And again, this is not saying that it's bad to perform for your boss. You should. You should work hard for your investors. You should work hard for your wife and your kids. You should do those things. But ultimately, this is a question of who are you doing it for? At the end of the day, who's your audience? The question isn't whether you have an audience. It's who that audience really is. You know, most of you know that uh, we're doing this Beauty and the Beast production. I told you last week I'm in it. Uh, don't let that scare you away. Um, I have not discovered my next calling as a thespian. Uh, believe me. It's, it's, uh, but it's, it's, been, it's been a blast, but it's also been an extremely um, stressful thing to do. I have never done anything like this before in my life. And to, you know, memorize these lines and get up and deliver them and then also to sing and, you know, it's just, it's just been unbelievably stressful. And so I I worry about it. I worry about, am I getting my lines right? Am I going to be on time? Am I going to forget my line? Am I going to, you know, and so you're thinking about this stuff all the time. And there are certain people who critique you and tell you, you know, hey, you're doing a great job or hey, you busted your line or hey, you jumped on my line or hey, you know, whatever. But a couple of weeks ago, Lewis Harris invited a lady to come to one of our rehearsals. And I didn't know who this woman was. And I just remember at the end of one of our rehearsals, there was this woman sitting out in the audience. And she was kind of silver-haired. And she just sat there in the third row in the auditorium. And she, I just thought it was somebody's grandmother. Well, at the end of the show, he, he had her come forward. And it ends up that she's a former professor of drama at TCU. And she's produced shows all across the country. She's been doing this most of her life. And so she was taking notes the entire time. And she stood up and she critiqued all of us. And it was not a fun experience. Because this woman is an expert. And so she's, she sat down and she went through every one of your lines. And she, she talked about how you delivered your line. And she talked about... Do you even understand who your character is and what you're doing? And why, did you do, why do you do that hand motion? What does that mean? I'm like, I don't have a clue. I'm just trying to remember my lines. And so she critiqued us, and she pulled us aside, and she told us what we did good and what we did poorly. Well, the next sh- rehearsal, she came back. And when we started, I saw her sitting in the third row. Now, now I knew who she was. Who do you think I performed for that night? You bet. I mean, I don't care if my wife was out there. I don't care who was. You know, if my wife saw me do it, she'd go, oh, you were wonderful. And I could have stunk. But this woman, I just remember, it was like a laser beam. I just saw her silver head sitting out there in the third row in the dark, just kind of glowing. And I knew her eyes were drilled on me, even though there were 50 other people on the stage. I just knew she was watching every flaw, everything that I was doing. And I could not get my mind off of that person. Why? Why would that be so important to me? What was different about her than anybody else sitting out there? Friends, family, what's different? She's an expert. She knows what she's talking about. And she can see every flaw in every move and every line that I do. She became, for that evening, and really every evening since then, my audience of one. Because I think about, what did she tell me to do? Am I doing this the way she told me to do it? Am I delivering this line in the manner in which she told me I should deliver it? And she became my audience of one. You know, last night we, uh, we had a short prayer time before uh, our rehearsal because we've had a lot of people starting to get sick. It's really been interesting. You know our our lead characters. The one of the guys was night before last was throwing up constantly between every act. Our lead uh, actress is she's losing her voice. Uh, We've had people just getting sick left and right, and it just hit me yesterday that this is, you know, this really is spiritual warfare. Even though it's Beauty and the Beast, these are this is a body of believers putting on this performance where the gospel is going to be shared every week, and it hit me that. What's the one thing Satan doesn't want to have happen? Not the performance of Beauty and the Beast, but the performance of the Beauty of beasts, Beast ending with the gospel presentation. And so what's the best way to screw this up? Get people stressed out, tired, sick. And so we just had a prayer time. And I challenged everybody in the room that do this tonight as if you're doing it for an audience of one. Not her, but him. And it was amazing, the change in the whole performance. As our attitudes began to change about, who are we really doing this for? I'm not doing it for me, I'm not doing it for her, I'm doing it for him. Who's your audience of one? To follow the call of God is to live for only one audience, the only one that counts, him. Him. So as you shared what you do for a living and, you know... Whatever you do, and I don't know what you do, but whatever you do, who do you do it for? It ought to be for Him. This all goes back to that calling. You've been called. So who do you do it for? It's an audience of one. But what does that mean? What does it mean to live for an audience of one, guys? What does it mean to live for Him? It's so easy in whatever we do to do it for us or to do it for someone else because they have a direct impact on us and they can either give us more money give us a promotion, let us go, not promote us. Whatever, they have some control over us, so we do it for somebody other than him. But how do we do this? Over in Colossians 3.23, open up your Bibles there. Paul tells us this. You're all familiar with this, this verse. He says, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for men. Wow. Whatever you do, and I read this verse to everybody in the show last night. Whatever you do, if you're singing, acting, playing an instrument, behind the scenes, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for men. Do it for the Lord. The Net Bible says it this way. Whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm. as to the Lord and not for people. Whatever you do. Why? Why am I supposed to do that? It's what we've been talking about. It's because you've been called by Him. You've been called by God Almighty into a relationship and everything you do should be done for Him not for men. Not to please people, but to please Him. So tonight, tomorrow night, Friday night, two times on Saturday, my focus does not need to be in that lady sitting on the third row. As as wise as she is, as much as she knows about drama, my focus needs to be on Him. Do it for Him. And whatever happens, happens. If I blow a line, it really doesn't matter. I'm doing it for Him. Do it for His glory. Do it for Him. Because we've been called by Him. You know, it's interesting. If you go back in this chapter, just starting in verse 18, who's who's He talking to? Who, Who is Paul addressing? He's talking to husbands. He's talking to wives. He's talking to fathers. He's talking to children. He's also talking to slaves. Interesting audience. And then he gives this verse. Whatever you do... Father, husband, child, slave, whatever you do, do it as to the Lord and not to please men. Do it as to the Lord. See, he's, he's been talking about calling. He's been talking about how our calling should impact our living. And that's something that we have to get through our heads as men. If it doesn't impact the way we live, what's the difference? If the fact that you are called by Jesus Christ, called by the Father into a relationship, and it doesn't impact the way you work, the way you live, the way you live out your life, then what difference does it make? And the sad thing is, the world is looking at you and I and saying, it doesn't make any difference. Because this guy's no different than I am. He just happens to go to church, and I don't. What difference does it make? If you have been raised up with Christ, is what it says here. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and I'm looking out at this room and I'm assuming if if you guys have been raised up with Christ, and there may be somebody who hasn't, but if you have been, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then he goes on, he says, keep seeking the things above. Seek the things above. Don't seek the things in this earth. Seek eternal things. He says set your mind on the things above. What is it you think about? This is all about how we pull this off, guys. How do we perform for an audience of one? Well, think about the things above. Seek those things. Think about those things, not the things that are on this earth. And I know this is hard because I struggle with it because what do I see every day? The things in this earth. I mean, I just have to look around and I have to walk out in the parking lot and I see your car is nicer than my car. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. We see the things of this earth. He says to put to death anything in you that is worldly, fleshly. Put it to death. Get rid of it. And that's tough to do. But when you do that, you're doing it for an audience of one because you've been called by him. He says, rid yourself of all the characteristics, characteristics of worldliness. Look at verse 8. What does he say? Put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Get rid of that stuff. Put it off. Get rid of it. And then he says, put on, just the opposite, Clothe yourself, is what that word literally means, with a brand new God given nature. Look at verse 10. Put on the new self who is being renewed, made new to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Put that on instead. Get rid of the old stuff, put on the new stuff. Clothe yourself with this new God given nature. Then he says in verse 12 live up to the standard of your calling. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. It's a new standard. Live up to it. Live up to it. And then he says in verse 14, put love on top of it all. It's like the icing on the cake. Love has to top it all off. Love for him, but also love for one another. And then verse fifteen, let the peace of Christ control your hearts, regardless of the circumstances. You ever been in a bad circumstance? Yeah, you know, I was driving home the other night and it was late, and I'm my car just starts you know, swerving. It's really odd. And then it then you hear the And I'm in the middle of two eighty-seven. In the not nicest part of town, and I have to pull off the freeway, and I'm sitting in this access road in the middle of this part of town I don't want to be in with a flat tire. I had a couple of choices. I could be angry, upset, frustrated, a little chapped, ticked off. Or I could say, okay, I'm going to call my wife. I'm going to be a little bit late. If you never hear from me again, this is where I am and fix the tire and move on with my life. Which one do you think I chose? Wrong. For once in my life, I just said, you know, it's a flat tire. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna go home and go on with my life. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. You know the only way I could do that that day? Is that I just had spent enough time with him that day to where I wasn't controlled by me, I was controlled by him. Had I not spent time with him that day, you know what I'd have done? I'd have been chapped. I'd have been angry. I'd have been kicking the tired, kicking the car, yanking stuff out of the trunk, making a display. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts, regardless of the circumstances. And then let the words of Christ influence the way you live and interact you know, we read the Bible so much, guys. We, read, we know more Bible than most people know. We can quote scriptures. We can misquote scriptures. We can give people godly advice and we don't know where to find it. But we know it's in there somewhere. You know, we, we read the Bible, but the problem is we don't apply the Bible. We don't live it out. And what he's saying in verse 16 is let the words of Christ, the teachings of Christ, influence the way you live your life an audience of one, and then live out your entire life as his representative. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, career, father, husband, whatever you do, do it as his representative. You know, Thursday night, I have no clue who's coming to that performance But whoever walks in that room, what I want them to see is not me and not everybody else in that performance. I want them to see us as the representatives of Christ Jesus. I want them to look up there and go, man, this is amazing. Not because we're good, not because how did they pull this off, but they're amazed that we're believers in Christ and our love for one another, and our love for them, that we would put this show on for free. I want them to be amazed at the end when they hear about the love of Jesus Christ for them, the unconditional love of Christ. I want them to be amazed. We're his representatives. That verse we looked at just a few minutes ago, Colossians 3.23, Paul said, Whatever you do, now most of you guys know by now that I, I love to do word studies. I love to just dive into the words and find out what they really mean in the original language. Sometimes that can get you into trouble, but for the most part, it it helps enlighten you. And so I went back and looked at, what, what does this mean, whatever you do? And here's what it means. Whatever. I was real disappointed. Yeah, it's real deep, yeah. You go back to the original Greek, and it means whatever. It's the only word there, whatever. So what does that mean? Well, it means whatever. It's all-inclusive. Now think about that. Whatever you do, do it all for him. So the other day, when I'm changing my flat tire, that's included in this. Whatever you do, do it for him. So think about this. I'm changing my tire... And the only person who saw me was a guy at a kind of a gas station. He's out there washing a car. He's got a jack five feet from his feet. And he's watching me jack up my car. He's the only guy that saw me. He, not, he made no move to help me. And I knew if he did, he'd want to get paid. But what if I, if I just said, Lord, you're watching me. I'm changing this tire for you. What a radical way to think about the things you do. Because that's what this means. Whatever you do, not career, not what you do to pay the bills, but whatever you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, whatever you do, it's all-inclusive. Paul is saying that our calling is a comprehensive one. And we got to get that through our heads because I grew up with a mindset that calling only had to do what, what is God calling you to do? And you may feel like I'm beating a drum on this and I'm beating you over the head with this. But guys, we have got to get it through our heads that this is comprehensive. It's everything you do. If you're mowing the yard, you're doing it for an audience of one. If you're talking to your kids, you're doing it for an audience of one. If you're in your car driving, you're doing it for an audience of one so that... If you think that and you live it out, you're not going to cut that person off that you normally would cut off. You're not going to give them that sign that you might have given them two days earlier. You know, the one-finger salute? You're not going to do that. You're not going to cuss somebody out because they irritate you. Why? Because you have an audience of one who is with you every single day and is obsessed about whatever you do. Whatever you do. It should influence every area of our lives. Now I'm sitting here and I'm saying this, and it's just as hard for me to comprehend that everything I do, I do for an audience of one. It's amazing. Look at Genesis 17.1. You don't have to flip there, but I encourage you to spend some time in this passage. Listen to what it says. God's talking to Abram. He says, now when Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You know, I've read that verse, I don't know how many times, and it's one of the verses you just kind of blow through it. And I don't even look at the fact that he's 90. I don't, you know, I just, I just blow right through it. But look at what he tells him. I am God Almighty, relationship. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, I did do a word study on this, and it's a little bit more insightful than the last one. And I I wanted to share share with you what what this means. Walk before me. See, God is calling Abram, Abraham, to a relationship. We know that this is when he's 90 years old. This is long after he left Ur of the Chaldees and made his way to the Promised Land, and he's he's following the call of God. He's been called to a relationship. Now, God is describing for him what's the nature of that relationship. Hey, you're mine. I called you. I've set you apart. And I'm going to birth a nation from you. But what's the nature of the relationship? So what does he say? He says, walk before me. Listen to what this word, what what this means. Because this is one of those things we blow past and say, okay, walk before me. Great. Okay, fine. Let's move on. Blameless can't be blameless. So let's move on. What does it mean to walk before him? It literally means to walk back and forth, to walk about, to live out one's life. To live out one's life. God says to Abram, live out your life before me. The word before literally means in front of, in the presence of, in the face of. Live out your life right in front of my face. Because I'm watching. Live it out. Walk about everywhere you go. From the minute your feet hit the floor in the morning till they get back in the bed at night. Walk about as if you're living it in front of the face of God. You're face to face with him throughout the day. So here's what he's saying. This is my paraphrase. Live your life in front of my face. That sends chills up my spine. That I am living my life out every stinking day in the face of Almighty God. But you know how I typically live my life? And if you're anything like me, and I know you are, I don't think about him a big portion of the day. I think about him when I'm in the Word. I think about him when I'm up here at the church and somebody wants to come in for counseling. I think about him when I'm teaching. I think about him... But man, there's big chunks of the day where man, he's he's out of sight, out of mind. And I'm just I'm cruising and I forget that I'm living my life in front of him. Literally in his face, he's watching me. Man, how that should change the way I live and the way you live. Another way of saying it is do everything you do with the awareness that I'm watching. Man, what what would it be like if I could tell that to my kids? Hey, mom and I are going out for dinner, but I'm watching you. And they knew I could. There's a camera in every room. You know, it, it hit me the other day. And I don't know why this hit me, but around our church now, we've gotten so big, and security is a real big issue now, is there's security cameras everywhere. You know, those little balls that sit up in the ceiling, and, and I'm walking around the other day, and it just hit me that everywhere I go in this building, somebody's watching me. Think about that. You know, you're just you know, walking along, picking your nose, and you know, you're in the hallway, nobody's there. And all of a sudden, you look up, and there's a camera, and you're going, oh, my gosh. Think about it. I catch myself thinking about it all the time. I'm, I'm kind of watching for cameras. Am I in a room that doesn't have a camera? Literally, that's the way we need to live our lives because God is watching me. He tells Abram, live your life out before me. Everywhere When you walk around, live it out in front of my face because that's exactly what you're doing. Think about it. Aware that I'm watching you every step of the way. God was his audience of one. Guess what? He's your audience of one. He's my audience of one. Everything I do should be for him. Why? Because he's watching me, he's called me, and he cares for me. The second part of this is, and this is the real tough one, is be blameless. You know, if I'm Abraham, I'm going, oh, great. Why don't you set the standard just a little bit higher, God? Be blameless. And see, we read the same thing, we get the same reaction. We go, impossible, can't pull it off. Well, let's look at what it means. The word is tamim in in the Hebrew, and it comes from the root word tome. And this is a study that I got exposed to this last summer Just that's really been revolutionary for me. Here's what it means. Complete, whole, entire, sound, having integrity. He says, be blameless in front of me. Be whole and complete in front of me. Live out your life in a whole and complete way. Here's another definition. Completeness, integrity, fullness, innocence, soundness. What is complete, entirely in accord with truth and fact. Live out your life completely, wholly, in integrity. What a challenge for you and I in the world in which we live. The fundamental idea in this word is not perfection, it's completeness. See, we get hung up on the "oh, I got to live a perfect life." No, we can't live a perfect life. God knows that. Only Jesus Christ could and did. But we are called to live a complete life, a whole life. Live out your life in front of Me completely with integrity. And that's the that's a key word here is integrity. You know, that's a that's a big buzzword in the marketplace. You know, we we got to have. Integrity in the marketplace. We have to have integrity in our politicians. You know, good luck with all that. we got to have integrity in the church. we got to... God's all about integrity. But it's an idea of wholeness, completeness. Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. The quality or state of being complete, unbroken, wholeness, entirety. It's, it's a full circle, guys. It's the complete package. It's not, here's my spiritual life, here's my secular life, here's my home life, here's my personal life. Here's... No, it's the complete package. Ron Lee Davis says this in his book, Integrity is the congruence, the coming together, that is consistency, harmony, agreement between one's walk and one's talk. See, God says, hey, hey, Abram, live out your life, walk about in front of me so that your walk matches your talk. So, your talk matches your walk. See, some of us are real good with the talk. You know, we can, we can, we got all the buzzwords down. You know, one of the interesting things for me, you know, having come on staff is that anybody who wants to join Christ Chapel has to fill out a membership application. And the key thing on that membership application is a little thing called your testimony. Because the only way you can become a member of Christ Chapel is to be a member of the body of Christ. You have to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. What's really interesting is, on many of those, there's nothing there. There's no testimony. So we have to call them. And we have to say, tell me about your testimony. Or there's something written, but it's so unclear as to what it means. Well, I grew up in the church. What does that mean? I've always known about God. What does that mean? And then you call some of these people and you say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I've always known about him. Okay. Tell me about your relationship with Christ. Well, my parents were, were believers. <laughs> Great. Tell me about your relationship with Christ. Some of them can even go deeper and they can talk about Jesus. They can talk about s- salvation, but they never are able to articulate... That I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The talk, the walk, it all has to come together. Charles Dyer says this, The word integrity describes someone whose words and actions match God's written standards. A person of integrity is someone whose talk and walk resemble the character and conduct of Jesus Christ. Your talk and your walk. You know, my kids can look at me, and, and kids are great about seeing hypocrisy, and they can see me stand up in church. They can, you know, they know what I believe, and they know what I say, and they know what I teach, and then at home they can see me act a different way, and they go, hmm. What's up with that? His talk doesn't match his walk. If your kids ever walked in on you, and you're watching something on TV that they go, why is Dad watching that? Why does Dad have that magazine? why does dad talk to mom like that? Why? Do your friends look at you and go, you know, that? he invited me to church one day, but he cusses like a sailor. You know, he, he bad mouths the boss all the time. Does your talk match your walk? See, that's integrity. That's wholeness. This little illustration is one I tried to describe verbally, and so I wanted to put it up visually. These three circles represent your life, your home, your work, and your personal life. This idea of congruence is, in my mind, these three circles should begin to overlap in your life until there's one circle. Because, you know, when God looks at you, he doesn't see, well, there's Ken's personal life, there's Ken's home life, there's there's Ken's work life. He looks at me and he says, there's Ken. He is a spiritual being, he is my representative, and everything he does is done before my eyes. Everything begins to blend together to where no matter what I do, where I am, what I'm doing, I do it for him. Another way to look at this is your actions, your words, and your values need to become, they need to blend together until that's one circle. So that what your values are come out in what you say and what you do. Your words match what you say you believe. That's what it means to be blameless. To live in such a way that everything you do is done for Him. Integrity is not merely something you do, it's who you are. It's just who you are. I am a complete whole person before God. He didn't save The spiritual me, he saved the whole me. He saved the working me. He saved the husband me. He saved the father me. He saved every part of me. I am his incompleteness. And I need to to live it out. Integrity is is who you are. God's calling Abraham to, to live an integral life, a complete whole life in front of him. It's a holy, holy life. Holy, holy. Not the song. Just holy, completely holy. Every part of my life is His. Holy means set apart. So every part of my life is set apart. Everything I do. It's to be 100% the same on the inside as you are on the outside. And just the opposite. 100% the same on the outside as you are on the inside. No difference. No dichotomy. No hypocrisy. You are the same no matter how far people dig down. No matter how la- many layers of the onion they peel back, you are still the same. It's integrity, completeness. It's when our hearts and our actions become one. Ephesians 4.1 says this, guys. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight. Again, we read this and we think, unblemished? Oh, gosh, I can't pull that off. It means to be completely whole, no spot or blemish, in every way. You know, any lamb that was brought, if it had any spot, anything wrong with it, it was no good. It had to be wholly, completely pure. That's what he's calling you and I to. I too. It's to live before God with integrity. And it's when being and doing get connected. Being and doing. Being and doing. Everything we do. So how's your walk? How's your walk before God? You're, you're going to walk out of here today. Some faster, some better, some slower. You're going to walk out of here. How's your walk? What does God see when he watches your life? Because he's watching you. He's watching you now. And when you walk out these doors, he's watching you when you get in your car. He's going to watch you when you walk into work. He's going to watch you when you go home today. He's going to watch you when you go into the bathroom. It's kind of a strange thought, isn't it? He's watching you. What does he see? What does he think? Is your entire life lived out for his glory or just the things you do at church? Do you aim to please him more than anyone else? Do you think about, man, what would God think about what I just did or what I'm thinking about doing? I know what my boss would say. He'd love it. But would God love it? Is he your audience of one? Father, we come to you this morning as men who are called by you. And Father, I pray that you would challenge everyone in this room this morning, myself included, to walk before you, to live out our lives in front of you. Father, may you truly be our audience of one. Forgive me, Father, for living out my life More concerned about what others think about me than what you think about me. And Father, I just pray that you would help me to do everything that I do today with the awareness that you're watching me. Not to judge me, but because you love me and you take pleasure in me. And that everything I do is a reflection of you. Father, forgive us that as your representatives on this earth, we sometimes discredit your name by our actions and the way we live our lives. Father, help us to understand that we are your hands, your feet, your heart on this earth. We are your representatives. May we live our lives in completeness, in integrity, in wholeness. Every sphere of our lives, every aspect of our lives. May there be no hidden area of our lives that we say, this is mine. It's not yours. Everything we do, Father, may it be to your glory. May we understand that everything we do is done before you. Nothing is hidden. Everything is exposed before your eyes. May we understand that and never want to do anything that would offend you, discredit you, dishearten you, disappoint you because of everything you have done for us. As the song said, the life I have is all that I have. This is all I've got to give you, Father, is my life. I can't earn salvation. I can't do anything to make you love me. But I have this life and I can live it before you in integrity, in completeness. Show us how to do that, Father. In the power of your Holy Spirit. And I am convinced that it will radically change our lives. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for calling these men. Thank you for calling us to something greater than we could ever imagine. Now may we live for it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior.